Welcome to the Austin Forum Upload, the podcast of the Austin Forum on technology and society. I'm Jay Boisseau, the executive director and founder of the Austin Forum. And today I'm very excited to have Aaron Riley, a professor of practice and the founding director of the Texas Immersive Institute at the Moody College of Communication at the University of Texas at Austin. Oh, thanks for inviting me, Jay. Glad to be here. Aaron, thanks for joining us today. I'm I'm really happy to have you as an expert on immersive technologies because this is one of the technology topics that is one of my personal favorites. It's not one of the ones I'm most experienced in, but it's one of the ones I really see a lot of upside, a lot of transformational potential about if we the technology capabilities can catch up to what we may need. And we're going to dive into that in that, this podcast today. But first, I'd like you to tell us just a little bit about the Texas Immersive Institute. And in doing so, can you define immersive and the technologies that go into immersive experiences? Yeah, sure. So uh, Texas Immersive Institute is a fairly new program here at UT Austin. Um, our mission is to provide access to emerging technologies and research uh, on, on immersive. On immersive. Um, in fact, when I first uh, was brought here to UT Austin, um, I knew the first thing I wanted to do with the support I was receiving was to set up a lab and give access to the emerging technology because I had seen firsthand that if we if we didn't break down the socioeconomic barriers of access to this emerging technology, how were we expecting our next generation to really learn how to design and innovate in this space? So our mission is to not only give access, but we're also here to train the next generation of experienced designers who will research and design these experiences for our industry partners, for scientists and other professors and schools across UT, to for humanists. Um, but our what we focus on is storytelling, right? How do we use, how do we really understand an audience and use experimental forms of storytelling to share solutions to big problems that are both responsive, responsible, and remarkable? And that's the mission of Texas Immersive. And the way and we do, yeah, go ahead. No, no, I was gonna say that sounds like, like a great mission. How, how do you define immersive to people when you tell them about the Texas Immersive Institute. I'm sure people understand the word Texas and understand the word institute. How do you how do you define immersive <laughs> to them? Yeah, it's um it's funny cuz they immediately jump to immersive technologies, but the way I define immersive is in three words. It's interactive. There's some sort of call and response uh, in order for the user to be engaged and not a passive lean back uh, user. So we have to participate. It's intimate, uh, meaning that you've given agency to the audience member. There's some way to personalize it and to make it their own. And then it's experiential. It's experiential is uh, we're always looking at ways to understand the affordances of the media or the technology we're using and really think about blending it with our real world. So a blend of physical and digital, a way experiential to me also means a way to embrace all of our senses. We are very much sight and sound. 
because uh, we've grown up in Web 2.0. We've grown up in a 2D world. And now immersive allows us to really think about touch with haptics, uh, taste, scent, you know, how do we take them all together to make me feel more present in a space, to make me feel more embodied in an experience? And that's what immersive means. So, Erin, I want to uh, talk about the technologies that enable immersive experiences, but I'm going to start with just the technologies that people are familiar with now. So a lot of our listeners probably are gamers. Maybe they play a game in an environment uh, it's on a 2D screen, but the, it's a projection of a 3D world onto a 2D screen. Is that an immersive experience for them? It, it's interactive. It's intimate. I mean, if you consider shooting zombies intimate or whatever they're, they're <laughs> probably doing, and they would consider it experiential. Is that an immersive environment? Um, I, I would say that a gaming worlds are an immersive environment. In fact, um, I like to loop them or virtual worlds into the umbrella term, which we know as XR, extended reality. Um, to me, extended reality is the suitcase of acronyms, you know, AR, VR, AI, IoT, MR, you name it, but we could just add another a letter in there. Um, those are extended reality, which pretty much means that it's the next phase of human computer interfaces. We're integrating digital content, not only into the real world, such as augmented reality or mixed reality, but we're also creating virtual environments that can be either fully simulated where we're immersed in a new world like you have when you put on a VR headset, to mixed reality where we might have a more high-end headset or something with pass-through and we can actually interact and engage with the digital content more than what you see with augmented reality, which is often placed on top of it. Um, the I talked also about AI and IoT, right? Haptics and sensors and artificial intelligence to me are the bridge, right? They are the foundational architecture on how these other extended reality tools will begin to shape new forms of user experiences. And that's probably the gamut of where people are today, you know, what, what they're probably used to. Um, but I like to push it even further and really think about it more as if we're thinking about immersive and immersive is, is like our spatial environments, what are those technological environments um, that we can have? And um, there is ways to think about it beyond virtual reality environments or mixed reality environments to ubiquitous environments like smart clothes can be a ubiquitous environment um, or digital twins. Maybe you've had a conversation on that. Um, you can think about recorded environments, uh, 360 um, or um, spatial sound can be a type of environment all the way to projected environments. Um, which, you know, are very popular here in Austin uh, with some of your festivals, but they can be half domes, they can be full domes, they can be uh, pro just projected walls. Those are all the types of emerging technologies that are encompassed under immersive. So you mentioned all the senses in there. And one mm -hmm. of the ones that I always e equate at some level with uh, immersive is sight, of course. And I, and I recognize 
there are people who who are visually impaired, but it, it, in I think in all cases, humans have a spatial uh, reasoning capability. It may have to be more imagined than visually sensed, but is is it true that everybody has a a, a spatial cognitive capability mm-hmm. and that you can create a a spatial immersive environment for them? I'm finding that we are probably lacking in spatial reasoning. We, you know, this generation that's come up, while they've been familiar with gaming, they've also had their heads in the phones with Google Maps, you know, where we're looking and trying to find our way via the phone rather than looking up and seeing our environment. So when you try getting them to start designing for a 3D environment, you have to really begin to, uh, you know, take a note from theater and the proscenium stage and talk about foreground, midground, and background, you know, talk about like the Z axis, uh, because a lot of what they've do- designed and drawn or, or the type of learning they've done, whether it's online learning or in the classroom has been very flat, you know, so to make them kind of bridge and take that away data, even data structures, the way they've looked at data and Excel files, it's all flat and they're used to flat. So you have to get them out of that mentality of like things aren't flat anymore i can walk around it i can actually see it from multiple different dimensions and spaces and and have them move through it playing with legos is something i do quite regularly just for them to start getting that tactile feel of how big of no one can you can walk into a room you can ask a young adult like what size square feet is this and they're like i don't know you know, they don't even know how to do it. Like, how big is this space? It's, it's just, it's hard to imagine when you've only been working through a 2D screen, you know? That surprises me a little bit. I mean, you meant, I was going to bring up Legos, but you mentioned on your own. I mean, kids are still living in a 3D world and playing with 3D toys and whatnot. It sounds like you're saying that it, when it comes to designing digital experiences though their digital experiences are primarily 2d and so their first inclination in designing digital experiences is to also be 2d is that what you're saying yeah like they're a lot of their mobile i mean unless they've got unless they're a gamer which you know not everyone is and if they are they're more likely to be a casual gamer than like a gamer that maybe you and i are Um, And a lot of casual games are 2D because they're built on the mobile and they're doing it maybe as a second screen while they're sitting in a living room with their family growing up, right? And so to get them out of that 2D environment, you have to like transition them to all the different types of spaces that are immersive, whether it's like, remember going to a theme park, you know, and it wasn't just about the ride. It was everything around the environment that set the world, Mm -hmm. you know, do you take them to an escape room? You know, what can you do in a box when it's not just, you know, uh, you know, it's not just a, uh, a game piece on a board, but you're able to move through that game piece. What does that look like? Um, And then getting them to try on, I think that's why it was, the lab is is so hopping during the school year is because I have a lot of students and faculty come in just to try it on, to try on the Magic Leap glasses or the VR headset or borrow. I've got 30 quests and they get it as their textbook in the first class because I they, a lot of them have never even been in a VR headset before the class. So there's uh, VR headsets are one of those things that 
I know we've all predicted that virtual reality would be the next big thing for at least 30 years. I remember <laughs> when I was long ago at the San Diego Supercomputer Center and worked with the guys who wrote the VRML handbook or something. And it really is just a technology limitation on that one, right? I mean, having sufficient resolution, su sufficient performance, low latency, et cetera, uh, sufficient battery life and sufficient miniaturization for comfort levels, isn't it? Um, I think virtual reality, well, I, I was not one of those that was like, this is going to last 30 years. I think everyone was like, all the VC were investing in VR. And I was like, had my little AR game there trying to do a startup going, I really think you should think about augmented reality. It's the democratizing voice. It's going to like connect people to their real world. And everyone's like, no, we're into VR. So I never really <laughs> rode that bandwagon, but I do see the importance of virtual reality. You know, like I do think that, um, that the, it, it, it can be really good to simulate different environments or different stories or narratives that are hard, um, are hard to do in real life. You know, um, for example, one of my uh, colleagues at USC was working very much with PTSD, Skip Rizzo, and he was doing PTSD with virtual beings in order to do training, you know, and I think things like that are great for virtual reality or rethinking like what a city can be and you can step into that city yes. or real estate architecture, you know, step into those rooms and really understand them before you even begin to build helps to really reduce the costs. Um, but augmented reality to me, or even mixed reality, you know, I, it, it takes it to a whole nother level of community engagement, of really understanding our world, of really beginning to develop spatial reasoning that has purpose beyond the technology. You know, it allows me, I always see it as like, like onions, like revealing all these new layers that perhaps if I didn't have augment my space, I wouldn't know of. So it gives me information in in a way that Google gives us information or that actually chat GPT gives us information. You know, it gives us information that we need to perhaps be a better human. No, I'm I'm all in on augmented reality. And I've I've told people for years that augmented reality, everyone will be in on augmented reality yeah. when Apple makes it cool somehow. I mean, somehow they made us wear a computer on our wrist and we went from being mocked to everybody having one. Somehow they made us wear <laughs> wireless dongles hanging out of our ear and they went to become pervasive as well. So I, I have confidence that Apple or maybe Google or maybe Microsoft will eventually, as the technology improves, have glasses just like the ones you're wearing in this uh, Zoom interview here mm -hmm. that are capable of switching the augmented reality on and off. So all in on that. But um, again, it's a lot of it is still, a, a, we're not quite there, I feel no, like on not. the technologies. And, you know, even the rumored Apple headset that's about to come out is going to be expensive and not as small as people would like and going to be pitched as more of a prototype, I, I hear. But it does seem inevitable. It seems inevitable that we'll have lightweight, even fashionable eyewear that can serve an augmented reality capability and potentially also a virtual reality capability as well, don't you think? Um, definitely. In fact, um, I was a Snapchat spectacle creator, so I have the Snapchat spectacles here in the lab. Um, and I have the Nreal Air, which are really cool. Um, I would say that 
and I've tried Lenovo, you name it, right? They're, they're all beginning to get better field of view and higher quality of graphics, but they don't last very long because of the battery. Like I can't keep my snap spectacles on very long without it overheating. Um, so you have to really, <laughs> from an experienced design perspective, you have to really like think of like, what can, what can be a short experience, you know, that can be just minimal, like bare minimum. Um, and I think, I think that's one thing that when people are moving from designing in more web two world to like a 2.5 or three world, they're having to learn, you know, how simple the UI needs to be. Like you have to think of our history, you know, we, we this is, this is not new, you know, it's just like, let's just talk about metaverse for a minute. Okay. Cause you know, it's a word that people are like, is that even a word right now? hello, like we had cyberspace and we used to call the internet worldwide web. You know, they're just trying to name, create a name that helps you understand what the next wave of the internet is going to be, right? The next way we're going to engage, we're going to connect, we're going to collaborate and it's the metaverse. Well, do I think that term will last? I probably not. It'll probably be a new term, but I do think the practice of immersive of us being interactive, intimate, experiential will last because it's a practice, you know, versus just a brand term, you know, just like the emerging technology will change, but there are different envi environments that that technology is currently in that probably makes more sense to look at different types of immersive environments we need to participate in than actually just one particular tool. Go where, go what you need with, right? Go understand the affordances of these spaces rather than a particular tool. Yeah, I'm all in on the metaverse capabilities, even though I realize it's got a hype cycle and then sort of a crash and then it comes back again. Yeah. Again, I think that's, I mean, AI has had this too. I don't see another yeah. AI winter happening because we finally have enough digitized data and enough processing power and evolved enough deep neural net algorithms that there's no reason for a winter again. In the past, the winters in AI had been lack of data and lack of horsepower, crunching numerical crunching power to 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 implement the out the deep neural net algorithms. Now we have that problem solved, and AI is exploding in a way that doesn't seem likely to ever have a winter again. I don't. I just don't think we've reached that yet in some of our visual technologies in a way that makes humans comfortable with wearing them and gives them a capability equivalent to their visual capabilities that they may be used to, but it, it seems like it's definitely coming. And I, I wanted to get your take on a talk actually that I saw at South by Southwest. It's about the medical metaverse. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was the most exciting technical talk I saw at South by Southwest because it was metaverse and digital twins granted, but yeah. not for gaming, not for entertainment. It was, in fact, he sort of mocked people buying skins and clothes and, metaverse games. He says, I'm not here to talk about all that. I'm here to talk about how we save lives, how we train doctors with metaverse technologies and virtual reality to better understand what a tube is doing when we intubate and what is happening in a heart chamber when surgery is 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 underway and things like that. What do you think about stuff like that? How do you think about enterprise applications and health applications of metaverse and VR and AR? I, I think that I think if if we are setting ourselves up correctly with this type of technology, it will impact every vertical. So for us to 
uh, it's just often early adopters are entertainment, right? Ones yes. that are willing to push the envelope, take fine. the risks, and that's fine. Yeah. Um, but I'm loving that health and other verticals are getting involved. In fact, when just taking that example, you know, my grandfather was a doctor, and he always said that the way you teach a doctor is see one, do one, teach one, right? When especially when you're at the sur- at the t- surgery mm-hmm. table. But now, you know, with the type of tools and technology we have, you can do see one, do one, simulate uh, see one, simulate one, do one, mm-hmm. teach one, right? And it right. adds in another level of like protection and training before you automatically get on to an actual human. And I think that that's pretty powerful. Um, at the Immersive Lab, we've been working with the School of Nursing this past year on um, on actually uh, GPT 3.54 around there. Uh, It's kind of been changing as we've been building. Um, But the uh, Dr. Ree, who's an expert in asthma, uh, came to us because her research had found that young adults who are finally moving out of their parents' home and living on their own were uh, were really starting to go into emergency, get more emergencies, having to struggle with their asthma on their own. And that that peers and learning to communicate and management was a real risk for them. And how could we design something that really helped these young adults manage and communicate their asthma? Well, at the time, all of our research we were doing uh, um, was around the next wave of character design and development. So a big push from virtual influencers to VTubers that are puppeteered by humans to virtual beings driven by AI. And I said, oh, great, this is this is in line with our next Innovators Roundup, where we're kind of talking about this and informing the public about this wave of character development. Let us let us build, because I'm a I'm an applied researcher. I need to make something while I'm thinking about it. So we did we built Camp Cura, uh, which was a social and emotional AI-driven character moose that is your friend who 60% mirrors you with asthma so that it Moose has asthma too and can relate to you and you kind of live and learn and grow together. And I really wanted to play with this because um, I had been working, I've worked in AI for years now. I was sponsored by IBM when I was at USC and I did a lot of machine learning and training and semantic learning on music items and all about fan studies, right? Different fan studies. And I found I could quickly identify through natural language processing uh, people's motivation, uh, uh, what you are motivated by. And I thought, well, if I can do motivation, it'd be interesting to think about like, how do you create a character that's fallible, that's social and emotionally connected to you and helps motivate you to change your behavior? So we took a lot of that modeling that I had worked on and kind of also thought, can we do snarky? Can we make him snarky and be like a young adult, you know, like a friend who's being kind of jerk to you sometimes, like pushing it back at you. That did not work. You know, I've got a whole entire Discord channel on the shit Moose says, you know. (laughs) But, you know, it was a great training experience on like the power of artificial intelligence and the co editing you have to do with it. You know, like I feel like a lot of people are very fearful of it, especially artists. And I think I'm a creator, right? Like, is this going to take over everything? And 
from what I've learned and what I've trained this past year, I it there is no way. It's like literally you, it's augmenting your intelligence and you're co-editing and having a conversation with it. You know, and I think that um, it's important to remember that there are principles we need to think about as creators on, on what's ethical and how we accomplish um, kind of making sure the human artistry and expression is built into these. And but we need to educate people more as to like what exactly is AI and how can I use it? What can it be used for? Uh couldn't agree with you more on AI. In fact, our, our next uh, in-person and live streamed event is on understanding and using generative AI. But I want to I want to come back. I realize it's a component of immersive environments, but I, yeah. I want to come back to the more um, augmented and virtual environments for a second. Uh, the You talked about how it's going to be used in every vertical. You're at the University of Texas. One of the ways that struck me, it should be incredibly valuable is in education. And I remember yeah. reading, you know, plenty of books 40 years ago when I was in school and text on pages with an occasional photograph. And for, for certain facts, that was just fine, but it didn't put me in ancient Rome. It didn't put me now on the surface of a moon going around Jupiter. It didn't put me in an airplane, et cetera. It seems to me that these virtualized environments should be fundamental in education at some point. I mean, we if we actually experience something, isn't that better than reading about it? Um, definitely. Uh, you're talking about experiential learning, which I believe that any way we can switch our classroom from being the 1950s sit and lecture um, is a better environment, except for you're working with a law, old institution that has a lot of policies and bureaucracies in place. And it's hard to shift to kind of move this giant steamboat. You know, um, you saw it even with COVID, you know, when everything uh, went to Zoom and it was like, okay, we're going to, we're online, we're using Zoom. And I was like, why? Why? Why are we using Zoom? There's so many other yeah. virtual worlds out there that we could be exploring, but they're talking about mass. I mean, UT Austin is a massive university with 40,000 people in it. And you have to think about like the general group instead of mine. Now I'm an innovator. I got to do in my classroom, we tried out all the different virtual worlds, right? And I think probably the students loved coming to class and were really excited to meet finally in person because we didn't meet in Zoom or if we did meet in Zoom, we were looking at the affordances of it and trying to turn it into a game or use it for uh, different uh, different approaches to engaging with an audience because the class was audience development mm -hmm. and engagement. You know, so, um, you know, it, it, I, I, I talk with teachers all the time. I, I, I'm a big believer in flipping the classroom, which has been a longstanding approach to how, uh, to a learning model, um, that I'm completely vested in, you know, you, if people should be, if you want to lecture, then record it and make that classroom an environment, like you're saying a environment where we can step into that world where we can do role playing you know and let them embody it performance is a big way for for anyone to remember something it's not just memorization or rote learning it's actually having that sensorial experience or having 
an idea of what I can be or who I can be. I can be that character, right? And it makes right. it come alive, makes learning come alive. Yeah, I'm 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 looking forward to seeing as the technologies continue to improve. And you brought up a great point about democratization of this. It doesn't do any good to have a world-class virtual environment that can enable you to see any place in the world or universe at any point in time, if not everybody has access to the tools needed to give them that environment and put them in it. So it's a great point. Um, I mean, I don't know if you know of ASU, but ASU partnered with Dreamscape and they were making a Dreamscape learning. I sent it to, I sent it to all the leadership here at UT. I'm like, I want this. And they're looking for more universities. Let's do this. Yeah. Um, Because it uh, dream, if you've been to the Dreamscape one, it's a virtual, it's like a mixed reality world where you wear a backpack and you get in there and you can learn about like the bi- the biodiversity of an environment. You can see dinosaurs and walk with dinosaurs. And they're cre- they're breaking up a lot of their spaces, which we're learning, you know, since COVID, we're learning what spaces we use and we don't use in in the 40 acres. And we just have to make a shift in like breaking down some of these walls and rethinking what a classroom looks like. And maybe a classroom looks like where there's sensors or where it's projected mapping screens around you. And I step into that world of dinosaurs with my class, you know, Um, look at Cosm. Cosm is a 180 degree dome. And usually people think of it as like, the next IMAX theater, right? Like you sit back and lean, but no, it doesn't have to be. You can literally get down and interact with it and play with it and have sent, put smell-o-vision around there and, <laughs> you know, be in an environment. And that's going to change the way I think, I think people will love learning and want to go to school again. You know, I think right now we're just trying to quickly get them in and get them out or even big corporations are saying, you know, hey, you just have to get this training. You don't need to go get a bachelor's, which I disagree with because I think it's more than just getting that certificate. It's about building a community and 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 having those kind of in-person touch experiences. But I but I worry. I worry on a daily if we don't change that that kind of community connection experience to be sensorial, to be like environmentally different you know, to embrace perhaps some of the worlds that kids have grown up with, with their games, with their gaming engines and things, then we might lose them, you know? Yeah. So uh, in addition to education for kids and for students, I I look forward to seeing it used in all verticals for For training. I brought up the medical metaverse, but, you know, we've been doing simulation-based science to replicate physical experiments for a long time. We design all cars in a digital wind tunnel before we ever build a physical model. We crash test digital versions of cars before we build a, a physical model of that. But it strikes me that training of how humans have to interact in dangerous environments, firefighters going into a burning house, soldiers going into a combat situation, this might be an educational application, a training application that is really valuable, right? I mean, create the immersive environment that doesn't put people at risk so that they can hone their skills so that when the time comes, you can protect human lives, right? Yeah. And there is, I I remember talking with the city of Austin about firefighting training 
And, um, you know, there's new technology that actually can um, create senses of heat. So you're in a virtual reality environment, but like if you really are feeling the heat of that fire, it makes it more real, you know? Um, and I, I think that those would help to really uh, expose them to possible dangers and how to avoid them, get, you know, go in different directions. Um, the other one is uh, like uh, augmenting um, a, a training. So for just-in-time learning, uh, one of my friends uh, owns his own uh, air conditioning company for big, big companies, right? And um, and I was, he, I convinced him because at first he was like, well, why would I change? What, what's going on? You know, and I'm like, look, just imagine if you gave a, a, an AR headset to every one of your employees, you're having to go out and train. You're trying to be in so many places at once, but instead you could just give them the AR headset and just in time training, they could learn, make sure that they're like uh, uh, repairing right. that machine in the correct way because it would augment which tool they need, which nugget they need to turn, you know, and that would save a lot on the boss always having to be there or having multiple employees be in the same space. Um, and then one other one is, is I know that there's consulting firms now that are giving VR headsets all the way to Walmart. Walmart gave all of their employees, first-time employees, the VR headset for training. Um, but beyond training, a lot of people don't know. They give them the headset, and then after training, they don't know what to do. But that's where health and wellness can come into play. And you don't even need to build things from scratch or just make, like, say, the Walmart health and wellness. There's wonderful apps out there that just could be curated and created as like a list, a playlist for your employees to use with the headsets that they have instead of just leaving them sitting on the bench or have them do community building. You know, like you could do uh, a walkabout. Let's take a local a walk, walk mm -hmm. mini um Walk about mini golf, you know, you can do socialization and have meetings in there instead of always just creating that simulated workroom for a meeting, you know, make it more social. Well, Aaron, thank you for your time and your expertise, insights. Uh, we really appreciate this. I've got to get you back on here because I feel like you and I could talk about this forever. We want to keep our <laughs> podcast to about half of forever. But <laughs> thank you very much for this. Thanks for joining us. Look forward to seeing you at future Austin Forum events, hopefully, uh, and including you the next time that we have an event on augmented reality, virtual reality, metaverse, etc. Hope you'll be able to, uh, to be with us on that next event and look forward to talking to you more in future podcasts. Awesome. I'd love that, Jay. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Austin Forum Upload. You can listen to additional episodes and check out a schedule of our monthly in-person events at austinforum.org. The Upload is a production of the Austin Forum on Technology and Society, a nonprofit organization here in Austin, Texas. <laughs>